Welcome to Word of Truth. This is Doug Presley. It is 7-9-2023, and we're continuing our worship service with the Thought of the Week and Prayer. And here we have the Thought of the Week, titled, Our Only Resolution, to resolve the infighting among Christians around the subject of eternal security, we must have an authority to which each side must appeal. That authority is the Word of God. If we are not able to submit to the authority of God's Word, then there can be no agreement and consensus. Will we trust the Word of God to settle the matter? God seems to think we should. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, taken from 2 Timothy 3.16. From this statement, we must agree that we may be wrong about a particular subject, but the right answer will be found in the Word of God. In fact, we must learn to trust the Word enough to allow it to rebuke or correct us. After all, we are focused on God's will in this matter, not our own. It is very safe to say that we will need some correction. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. And that's Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8. And that is thought of the week. I'd like to offer a short commentary on that and just to reiterate what is already being said and that we must submit to an authority. In a lot of cases, that authority for many people who call themselves Christians is a church or a denomination or a religious belief or religious practices where somebody is trying to be self-righteous and that is what they determine is their authority but the authority that matters is God's word so it is, it is the truth that our church is named after it sanctify them by the truth your word is truth so let us remember where we ultimately turn to to get understanding which may not be uh, what we understood before, we may have to let go of what we heard from other people who claim to be in a position of authority. And we need to focus on God's word. Within it is God's will. And that's my commentary on the thought of the week. And now Fred will give us prayer. Thank you. Thank you, Dwight. Uh, at this time, uh, I'd like to open the floor for anyone who has prayer requests that they'd like to take to the throne of God. Yes, Fred, um, the Presley family, the Haddon family, um, you know, you know all the names. I will leave. And, and let me just say, you, praying for you, Fred.
may continue to grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and therefore fulfill our purpose uh, and our calling, Lord, that we were put here in the first place. Asking, Lord, that we will continually bless, bless the family of Douglas Preston, our pastor, and his church, Lord, his church, his Christian church, that you will prosper, his believers, and that we, your will might be done to all of us. And that includes all the members of our, our local church and all those who follow and asking additionally, Lord, that as the book, the gospel according to God, it might go out and it's, you might, it might achieve its purposes of one reader at a time to reach that Lord with the glorious gospel of Lord Jesus Christ, which is the saving information that every human being needs here on this earth. Asking Lord that you would watch over and bless and keep, again, all the members of our, our church, asking that in a special way, Lord, that you would come and see about Jerry, uh, Deborah's father, that you would continue, you know his problems, Lord, that you would look in and have mercy and bring healing and completion to his life according to your will. Asking that as Kenny is in the hospital, Kenny had that you would have that you would especially look out after this young man. You know his problems. Lord, come please see about him and give him some comfort and my will will be done according to your grace and mercy, Lord, for Kenny. And also the caretaker is his mom, Gail. Bless her and keep her and give her strength, Lord, to carry out and perform the things she needs to, to do in the future concerning the care of her son. Also, Christina, you know her problem, Lord. Also, look out after her. Uh, asking for a special prayer for our dad. You know his problems also, Lord. And we're just, we're just grateful, Lord, that we're given grace and mercy in spite of obstacles and problems that you have given us hope that we can and in spite of the problems as you said there will be trouble in this world but be of good cheer because you have overcome the world again we're thanking you lord for this opportunity to come before you and learn more of you and continue this journey into more revelation and more grace and more wisdom. It is in Christ's loving, holy name, his precious name, that I pray this prayer in Christ's name. Amen. 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 <clears throat> thank you, Fred. And thank you, Dwight. I appreciate the uh, guys taking care of those things for us. Uh, let's move Right into Galatians, where we are. I'm going to read. Hello, God, I know if you're speaking, but we can't hear you. Oh, thanks. <laughs> I'm trying to be polite with the mute button over here myself. But uh, thank you all for your contributions. And we're, we're going to get right into Galatians chapter 2. I'll read and pick up to where we left off. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles, because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, You are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that 
you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs. We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. But if, in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I, would, I really would be a lawbreaker. So this is where we are. <clears throat> I don't know if we're going to finish verse 18, but we were somewhere in 17 here. I'll pick up some thoughts of where we are. If you scroll down in your notes to number 6, which is 17, we'll just recover some of the things we talked about last week. Let's pick up at point C, seeking to be justified. That is justified by the law. Follow the context in verse 16. That's what knowing that a person is not justified by the law. So when we're in 17 talking about seeking to be justified in Christ, meaning a person is already saved, and yet they're turning to the law as a source of their justification because they see this as ongoing. Right. Seeking point C, <clears throat> this is 17, 6C, seeking to be justified, that is justified by the law. And I say follow the context, just to make sure to keep orienting to the context. Point D, seeking to be justified in Christ. Why would someone do this? Because they don't fully understand God's standards or the bad news. They don't fully understand it. We gave Philippians, we read Philippians 1 three through seven in this regard. So it's sad if a person is in Christ, and that is possibly the case for it was the case for the Galatians that they were saved, but somebody came in and began to teach him some things that were false. So God saved them all right, because otherwise they couldn't have been in Christ. They couldn't have believed in Christ and, and be saved and justified. So now, someone has taught them some false teaching. So, so we could say, it can happen. Don't say, well, if you're saved, then you must do thus and so, because look at the Galatians. They were saved, and they were being led astray. It's like it says, even Barnabas was led astray. Point E. Or they are impressed with that old-time religion as it competes with the grace foundation, right? So in other words, the way people think, the way they are taught in culture, their culture, and all of us have culture, could lead us astray because the general thought is, this is how we behave. These are the norms and standards that our society holds to be true. Those things could conflict with what God is teaching us in grace. So we have to eventually, now God, listen, everybody has culture and everybody, you know, we respect the cultures that are out there. God reaches people through their culture. He doesn't say, oh, culture is all bad. You must depart from it and before you can hear from me. No, he goes into their culture and he teaches, he gives them the truth so that they can know what salvation is. And you know, it's interesting. Salvation goes beyond culture. It doesn't matter where or you were born or who you are, uh, what race you are. It doesn't matter. It's to everybody, to anybody who would believe, it's simply grace. It's not of ourselves. Well, it's not of our culture. It's not of who we are, it's not our identity. None of that. It's a gift. And we desperately need this gift because of the bad news. So, <clears throat> being impressed with old-time religion could compete with grace, a grace foundation. That's something to note. That could possibly happen. 
point F. I think this is where we left off. We Jews find ourselves among the sinners. And this is, but if we are seeking to be justified in Christ, let's say if a person does, and, and the person that he's talking about is, is the Jew, right? We Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, right? If you're seeking to be justified by the law, the law is ultimately going to show you that you're a sinner. <laughs> that is the thought. You're not going to be looking at the law and say, oh, everything I've done here perfectly, like, like Paul did. You're going to be deluded if you were. You're going to look at the law, and you're going to see that there are some things that you find, that you feel that you are complying with, and other things that you, you will see that you are not complying with, but you will readily excuse yourself in, in that. So that, well, you know, I'm working on that. <clears throat> God, you know my heart. You know I want to do it, but I keep failing. I'm working on it. So you'll excuse yourself. But James says, if we offend in, if we try to keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, we are guilty of all. What is it really saying in that? It says we all are offensive to God the moment we're born because we are born with sin natures. We're sinners by birth. So that it says, so here we're in Christ. We're already justified by Christ's righteousness. It's his righteousness that justifies us, not ours. It's his works while he was here on the earth, where the Father said, this is my Son, in him I am well pleased. It's his righteousness, not ours, that we're justified by. But somehow we think that if we are justified by the works of the law, and we don't, we find that we're going to be sinners, because that's all the law can dole out, is wrath, sinners. Right? That's what we are. It shows that. So... I said, guess what, in point F, if you turn to the law for justification, you will only find condemnation and death. I don't know if we read 2 Corinthians 3, 7 through 10. Let's read it. We're at the top of the hour. We have plenty of time. 2 Corinthians 3, 7 through 10 says, now, if the ministry that brought death, now what ministry is that? Well, thank you, Paul, for elaborating. Which was engraved in letters on stone. I don't know of any other ministry than the Mosaic Law, which was characterized by the Ten Commandments here. This, he's, you, he's given the Ten Commandments really to represent the whole Mosaic Law. And it's interesting because some people will say, <clears throat> we're not under the ceremonial law, you know, where you have to sacrifice animals and all that. We know that. We, Christ is our sacrifice. They said, we're not under that, but we're still under the moral law. So we have to be moral because, and, and they call the Ten Commandments the moral law. It's good for everybody, they'll say. But here, it's this moral law that everybody appeals to, says here, is the ministry that brought death which was engraved in letters and stone. That's the Ten Commandments. It came with glory so that the Israelites could not steadfastly, could not steadily look at the face of Moses because of its glory. Transitory, in other words, temporary. It was coming in to serve a purpose, though it was. I like what Paul says about the law in Romans 5. I'm coming back to that. Uh, other verse Romans 5 at toward the end it says verse 20 the law was brought in notice <laughs> was brought in it wasn't always there so that the trespass might increase now people have a uh, trouble with this verse what do you mean the law was brought in that the trespass might increase God wants the trespass to increase no that's not the point the point is that we were sinful. The law came in to show us that sin. So it looks like it increases, but really, we were sinful to start. 
So, but then God, he says, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So in, in other words, as much dirt as the law showed up like a mirror, God says, don't worry about it. I got it covered. Grace covers it all. Grace is my response to that. So back to 2 Corinthians 7. So the law is like a, like a mirror. It shows up what is really there. So maybe we don't know it's there. So the law really helps us understand that we are condemned. That's why I calls it the ministry of death. It shows us we're not alive to God. We're dead to God. We, we don't have his righteousness. We can't match his perfect standards. So 2 Corinthians 3, back, that's where I'm at now. So uh, <clears throat> now if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came a glory, it did. Moses' face was shining so much when he came down from the mountain so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory. Transitory, even though it was only there for a time. God only gave us that so that we wouldn't, you know, this was the dispensation of Israel. Will not the ministry of the Spirit? So he's comparing what they had in the Old Testament with what we have in the New Testament. <clears throat> so this ministry of the Spirit. So a couple of times I have said that uh, the Spirit of Truth is God's liaison for this new dispensation. That's the Holy Spirit. But he's given this title, the Spirit of Truth. See, so that is specifically for this age. I mean, you might say, well, the Holy Spirit operated in the Old Testament. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. He operated from the very beginning of time where people were lost. He was brought in and he, he came in to try to convict the hearts of those who were living at that time. So he did that all the way through Israel and all the way through Christ and even to the disciples who were sitting there looking, looking at Christ. So the ministry of the Spirit is what we have now. And that ministry of the Spirit is not just, oh, you know, you should do what's good. You, you, should, you should try to do good things. The ministry of the Spirit is very specific because it's the Spirit of truth. And it deals with the eternal purpose of God, which was hidden from ages and past generations. It was also hidden from Israel. And hid in God. And now his eternal purpose is being revealed by the spirit of truth. That is how we ought to see this. So the ministry of the spirit is for us in this age. And it is contrasted here by the dispensation that was previous to this dispensation. That was of the law. So this is interesting to know and understand that there are two distinct guiding principles in each dispensation. In the previous one, it was the law. In this one, it's the ministry of the Spirit. Now understand that. Don't just think that, oh, the Spirit is just some force inside you guiding you to do good. It's not that at all. It's the Spirit of truth, according to Christ, who announced that the Spirit was coming in a special way. Will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If that came with glory, the, the law, what about this? Verse 9, if the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? See, so, so notice the contrast between what was and what is now. I like... You know, when we think about it in verse 10, I must say, for what was glorious, that's the Mosaic law, the, the dispensation, Israel, the whole nine yards that most people are infatuated with, what was glorious has no glory now. Let's read those four words. Has no glory now. Why is it that everybody is turning there for to get glory? But it has no glory now in comparison when we compare it with the surpassing glory that we have now or verse 11 and if what was transitory temporary came with glory 
How much more, how much greater is the glory which lasts, which endures. And it goes on. <clears throat> you would think we have something far more glorious than what was. Yet we keep in the church, many are just looking back to what was as the old anxiety. I hate to even say it that way because even what we have is 2,000 years old, but people are still going back to the Mosaic Law for glory. So look at verse 12. Therefore, since we have such a hope, and we do because we're, we, ha we understand this, we are very bold. We have to be very bold because... We don't want to confuse what they had with what we have as though it were somehow either or. No, what we have surpasses what they had in a large way. Let's go back to our notes. G. So if in, we're being seek, seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves among the sinners. Doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? So let's look at point G, among the sinners. What does that mean? That is the Gentiles. That's what he means there. Because the way the Jews were, those are the ones they were separating from. So when the circumcision group came, <clears throat> Peter, Barnabas, and the other Jews there got up and removed themselves from the Gentiles because of that old anxiety thought that the Jews are nothing but dirty, rotten sinners. That the, I'm sorry, that the Gentiles are nothing but dirty, rotten sinners, and that we have to, we who have the law and know God's will, know the way of righteousness, we have to separate from them because we would be unclean if we consorted with such uh, low people in the, in, as far as God was concerned. This is how they looked at it. So that's why they separated them. That's why Peter was fellowshipping with the Gentiles, and when he saw those guys coming, he remembered how the Jews thought about these things. And he said, I'm with them. I, I, it's still in me, and I'm afraid. Even though I know better, I'm afraid. So he separated from them. He says, if we're in Christ, seeking to be justified, let's play this out, Peter saying. Paul saying, let's play this out. If we're in Christ, seeking to be justified, and we're found to be sinners, well, what's the difference? We're just like the Gentiles, aren't we? Aren't we just like them? The ones we're separating from? Ver, uh, point 11. I'm sorry, no, it's not point 11. Point H in our notes. If you are in Christ and see yourself as a sinner needing justification, then this is really the thought of it all. You're in Christ and see yourself as a sinner. Now, I know we say this a lot. I know a lot of people say it. We're just poor sinners looking for a morsel of mercy and blessing in the world. We're just groveling babies. You know, we don't really know what we're doing here. God doesn't see us as a sinner. You might say, well, isn't a sinner somebody who sins? Yes, you could say that's a definition, but that's not God's definition. We're not sinners. You know why? Because we take the position of either Adam or Christ. Now, if we're still in Adam, yeah, we're sinners. No doubt about it. No matter what, we're sinners. But if you're in Christ, Christ is not a sinner. We don't take the position of Adam while we're in Christ. We take the position of Christ. What is Christ? He's justified. He has eternal life. Right? He, all of our sins were, were judged, and God is not looking at sins at all. They were, they're, they were judged for everyone. So if you're in Christ and you see yourself as a sinner needing justification before God, this means you see Christ's grace provision as inadequate. It means you don't recognize what Christ has done. You don't see the work that went into it. You don't see yourself as a beneficiary of that work. Point I. 
our position before God originates from our federal head, and that is Adam or Christ. All you can do is read Romans 5, 17 through 20. And I say, trust the foundation. Romans 5, 17 through 20 says, which you should all be very familiar with, for if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign through life, uh, in life, through the one man, notice, through the one man, Jesus Christ. So, so you've got two men, the one man, Adam, and you got the one man, Jesus Christ. You're in... Adam or you're in Christ. How do you get in Christ? You believe in Christ. And in this age, you are baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. Romans, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 13. Romans 5, 18. Consequently, just as one trespass, and that was from the one man, resulted in condemnation for all people, so also, one righteous act. Now, what's that? That's the life of Christ. His life was one righteous act, resulted in justification and life for all people. So where are you in all of this? You are either in the one man who was one trespass and resulted in condemnation for all people, or, you know, the one act of, you are under the righteousness of Christ, and you are justified. So, so when we read in Romans 8, it says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. But you know, there could still be condemnation for those who are in Adam. There's still. The only way condemnation is reversed is when we are justified. And that means we believe in the person of Christ. And then 19, for just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners. So also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. So, so notice the two men stand as progenitors of the human race. You are either patterned after one or the other. If you're in Christ, then you take... All, you are righteous just as he is righteous. You, you have eternal life just as he has eternal life and is able to give eternal life. You have, uh, you know, everything, uh, justification, you know, all of those things are in Christ. But what about the other man? Well, condemnation, sinfulness, the sin nature, death, right? Death, death is separation from God in time. All of that is in Adam. In Adam, it says in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, all die. So those scriptures are pretty clear in that they tell us that the position that we are in, either Adam or Christ. Now, if you say you're a sinner and you're in Christ, you are casting aspersions on Christ. You're saying, well, Christ must be a sinner because we take our position and status from him. If you're found to be a sinner in Christ, that's saying that Christ somehow is a sinner. Paul is using that to understand that we should be looking at the foundation for our understanding. This is what guides the way we think about things, is the foundation. So, point J. <clears throat> Christ promotes sin, right? This is, this is the end of that verse 17 where he says, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. We, I mean, preposterous to think such a thing. So these are reasonable conclusions for someone in Christ seeking to be justified by the law. In other words, you could get to this if we were to go down this road. Well, these things are not possible. If you're in Christ and you're seeking to be justified by the law, then you're deluded, you're confused, you don't have the foundation, you don't understand how God sees things. It's like we've talked about, oh, we're sinners. Well, we're not sinners. We're his, we're beloved, we, we are loved, we are justified, we are, all these, those are the things God talks about when he, he says, 
he sees us because he sees his son. We're in him. But what did he see of us when we were in Adam? Death, sinners by nature, condemnation. He already made the judgment for every, for the whole race of Adam. Condemned. He made that judgment already. The only way it can be reversed is by Christ. So it says, these are reasonable conclusions for someone in Christ seeking to be justified by the law. Is God's reasoning your reasoning? Or we could say, is his foundation your foundation? Do you trust God's solution? Well, you might say, well, I don't know. Every man stands on his own. You know, every, every tub shall stand on its own bottom. People would, old, older people would say that. I know you don't say that. But this is what pe- how people look at it. They say, no, no, no. Every, this whole thing about we're in Adam and, and we take on the properties of Adam or, or you're in Christ and you take on... That's God's thinking, according to the Bible. Here we see it reiterated as well in Galatians. Where Paul is making the points that the things that the, the, the Galatians were believing were foolish to believe because they are departing from the foundation that God and Paul established through them. Christ promotes sin. Yeah, well, we could come to that conclusion if that were the reality, but it's not the reality. Paul is just begging the question, trying to show them that it doesn't make sense. So do you trust God's solution? Do you trust in that? Is that what you're standing on? Or are those other theories viable to you? No, you should stand on God's solution. It is the righteousness of Christ. Is the righteousness of Christ enough for you? Do you? Is it enough? Some people think it's not. Well, you can't just say we receive. You got to do something. You got to show. You got to keep the law. Then it'll be enough. No, it's enough. He took our sins says 2 Corinthians 5.21, we took his righteousness, right? That's the exchange. Well, I should just read it. I should just read it. 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. He took our sins. How, How did he make him sin? Well, he did that by imputing the sins of the world to Christ so that in him, notice in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. So there, we not only did we take uh, his righteousness and we have his standing, but the sins that we had in Adam, all the, the sin that we have, he put that on Christ. So the gospel is found right there in that one verse. What do we do in all of this? It didn't say that we become righteous because we kept the law. It didn't say we become righteous because we're moral or or we are good people. We become righteous because of Christ. That's how come. And it should be good enough. Now, for you to build experiential righteousness, in other words, to do what is right, you need to have this foundation. You need to do what is right from this foundation. And doing what is right, God does want us to do that as we live, but not to be saved, because we can't. We're lost. We're already lost when we started. I used to say that all the time. The question is not whether you'll be saved or lost. It's only whether you'll be saved, because you're already lost. You're born lost. The only option is to be saved. That's it. So let's move on to uh, verse 18. Galatians 2.18. This is point number 7 in your notes. Which is a short phrase. A few notes here. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. Let's just continue with the logic that the Apostle is giving us through the Spirit of Truth. So point A, Paul realizes that he is now an Apostle of a new theology and recognizes a new purpose of God. Many of his contemporaries were still stuck 
in the previous thinking. So he says, if I rebuild what I destroy, then I, you know, in other words, Paul now understands that it is the two, you know, when we talk about grace in the, in the, in works, it is mutually exclusive. You cannot have both. You can't be somebody with one foot in the law and one foot in grace. It just does not work. So Paul understood that. He understood what God called him to. He saw what he was, a Pharisee. He knew many of his people would object to his trying to uh, put aside the Mosaic law for Christians. And the real test came when Gentiles were coming into the church. That was a real test. Because now, the Gentiles did not have the law. So now the question becomes, okay, so Gentiles now are part of our body, okay, should we, what should we have them do? What, what are we, are there any requirements for Gentiles to come into the body of Christ? What should we tell them? How should we, as those who are apostles, set, uh, set the standard for how Gentiles should behave? <clears throat> so all those questions were on the table. And the New Testament resolves them perfectly. And Galatians puts an explanation point on what God wants and what his thinking is. So... Paul is just reasoning this out all the way so that we can see his thought. He says, he says, if I rebuild what I destroy. So Paul, he realizes that of what he was, but now he's, he has a new purpose, completely new. Even if we're talking about, well, do you keep the Mosaic law or not? You're not understanding the purpose of God, that God could have a new purpose, hence the mystery, which was hidden in God that God could have this purpose and he's allowed to have it that's not according to the Mosaic Law. People could not see past the Mosaic Law. To them, it was not transitory. It was the law, period, for all eternity. They did not want to depart from that, says 2 Corinthians 3. So point B, if I rebuild <clears throat> so, like Peter and the other Jews were attempting to do. In other words, Peter is putting himself in their shoes. He says, well, what if I did this? What would it look like if I did this? And this is what we might call begging the question. So if somebody's presenting an argument to you that doesn't make sense, sometimes we put ourselves in the shoes of that argument. We say, well, okay, okay, okay. What if we did as you say? Now, what would happen if we did, as you say? Now, sometimes it's very obvious to the person that it doesn't make sense because they li literally did not look past the argument enough to see some of the ramifications, the results. So when we do this, we are putting ourselves in their shoes to show that it doesn't hold water. Like this is this goes against the principles of God in some way. In this case, Paul is he's really dealing with the law because it was the law that and really the law did not stop the Jews from giving the gospel to the Gentiles so that they could be saved. The law did not stop the Jews from themselves believing in Christ to come for salvation, but they just abandoned all of that and depended on the law and they excluded themselves from Gentiles and Samaritans. That's how it all went down. So he says, well, okay, if I rebuild, meaning uh, like Peter and the other Jews were, had moved away from the Gentiles because of the circumcision group. If I rebuild, if I begin to behave the way you guys are doing, then I would be a, a, a lawbreaker for real now. Because now I know I'd be a hypocrite because I know that that's wrong. But that was, first it was the big lie. 
It was the big lie because people thought that you could be justified by the works of the law. And that was a way of life for people. That was a lie. Uh, we're not in the age of Israel anymore. We're not under the law. We're under grace. So they were dis he was dismantling that thinking. So he says, um, <clears throat> they knew God had moved to a new purpose. And when I say they, Peter knew it. He knew that it was a new dispensation. So did the other Jews, including Barnabas. They knew. But because of the circumcision group, because of the pressure of these religious people who identified with their culture, they felt some allegiance to their authority, that they must be somehow close to God. And they were a little bit fearful and ambivalent about how to behave, how to have the courage to, to behave as the Apostle Paul did. I'm sure Paul's stand here helped the direction of this early church in so many ways. So many ways. It helps people who are not Galatians, like me. It helps you to understand the way of life in the church. So, uh, just like he says, I did not give in to them for a minute so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. So, uh, <clears throat> point C. So they continue to compromise and give cultural religious religion a place in their lives, right? So really, this is what I mean by Paul just, if I rebuild what I destroy. So there's, he, you can't have it both ways. Paul is recognizing that I destroyed this whole thing about the Mosaic Law and all of the lies that are associated with it. So now you want me to separate from the Gentiles? I can't do that. I would be rebuilding what I already destroyed. I can't do that. I know better. So Paul, his thinking was consistent with his actions. Peter's thinking was not consistent with his actions, and neither were the other Jews that were there. They had given into fear. So they continue to compromise and give cultural religion a place in their lives. And I could just ask if you have some sort of cultural, religious norms and standards, you are giving them a place in your lives other than God's thoughts and ways. Are you caving into fear? It does take courage to live the Christian way of life. We're not talking just about salvation or, or even talk about what salvation is. Free takes courage to tell people it's a gift. You don't have to do anything. There's no works. Please don't do anything because if you do, you could disqualify yourself from grace. So don't do anything. It's not just, we would prefer that you do not do. No, don't do anything. Because if you do, then grace would no longer be grace. So they, these Jews, including Barnabas, who was Paul's partner. That must have hurt pretty bad for Paul to have to say that to his buddy, Barnabas. Everywhere in Acts, Paul and Barnabas went here. Paul and Barnabas stayed there. Paul and Barnabas, Barnabas did the other. They were all over. And yet, even Barnabas was led astray. Talk about how powerful it was. Okay, so they continue to be compromised, right? They give religion a place in their lives. Religion has no place in our lives. None. It's evil. It's a distortion of the word of God. It's evil. We have to begin to see it as that. Not to say, well, there's some good in it. I could see some good in it. And yet, no, you can't. There's no good in that. None. Paul says, if I rebuild what I destroyed, Paul destroyed it because it needed to be destroyed. And I'm certainly not going to compromise in the way I behave because of some lie. So, even though, there's some points here, I think seven points. 
even though Jesus opposed the leadership openly, in other words, they still gave religion a place in their lives, even though all these things were true. Jesus opposed the leadership. Matthew 23, you snakes, you vipers, you hypocrites. I can tell you they were certainly mad at Jesus because he didn't bite his tongue in calling their behavior and their mindset what it was. He says, you stop people from getting to the kingdom of God and you yourselves won't go in. What a, you're just an obstruction, period. Evil. So even though Jesus opposed the leaders, he didn't, if he's our example, we're not going to give in to religion. That'd be the last thing we should do is give in to religion. All we've got to do is see how they hated Jesus. Why they hate him? Because he called it straight. He said the words of God without equivocation, without compromise. Point two, even though Jesus was, even though Jesus established a new and living way, and we went through a whole study of John 14 through 17, where we understood that Jesus was preparing those disciples to be apostles in the church. That when the Spirit comes, when the Spirit of truth comes, when all he kept reiterating that to them throughout this discourse tell them that something new was coming a new and he had they had followed and listened carefully and Jesus told them the dynamics of this new age and I, I can be sure that there weren't any questions because they just had to grapple with what he was saying John 14 through 17 we, we did that whole thing it helped us understand the importance in Jesus' mind, about how we are to understand this new age. Point three, even though religion crucified the Lord publicly, they still, even though all of this, they, they crucified Christ for nothing. He didn't do anything. They knew he was innocent, and they wanted him dead. Evil. We cannot compromise with evil. Once we see the truth, we have to be proponents of the truth. We need to be on the side of truth. I realize it is a matter of each person. I, I'm not telling you, if you don't do it, you'll be lost. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that if you understand it, I think you have a responsibility to talk about it. Literally, not euphemistically. So they crucified Christ, the Lord, <laughs> publicly. They had him crucified. They rejected him as their Messiah. Point four, even though they persecuted the apostles and tried to destroy them and their purpose, they gave in to religious, traditional norms and stuff. They gave in to it, even though they themselves were persecuted. They whipped Peter and the apostles. All of them suffered. And yet, they gave some deference to these people. These people did not deserve any deference. They needed to be corrected, rebuked, and instructed in righteousness. That's what they needed. They didn't need you to play those games with them about separating from the Gentiles. They didn't need that. And you should know better because you should see the division that they had in their mind. And Jesus told them, he says, don't be surprised if they will kill you and put you to death in service to God. That's Roman, uh, John 16. Watch out. Because this is what they, because they don't see no, uh, you know, okay, no compromise on their part, right? When it came to, well, Pilate said, I don't find any guilt or a problem with this man. What should we do with him? They said, crucify him. That's what they said. Crucify him. That's what we should do with this man. No compromise. No, well, you know, he, you, you got a point there. He's better than Barabbas. So, 
maybe just let him go and just maybe flog him and let him go. This, no, 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 no. Pilate had already flogged him. He figured that was enough. I already beat him, mocked him. And he says, here's your Lord. <laughs> he's joking with him. He says, he's not our Lord. Crucify him. So they persecuted Christ. They persecuted the apostles. And yet we still have deference to religious systems, cultural norms and standards. We still respect that? No. We don't. We give everybody the opportunity to live as they would and want, but that's not the truth. Yeah. Point five. Even though they are they are enemies of the gospel. Romans eleven twenty eight, Paul says, as far as the gospel is concerned, he's talking about national Israel. They are enemies on your account. Even though they are loved on account of the patriarchs, they're enemies on your account. Well, there's no doubt. They put Christ to death. They persecuted all the apostles and chased them down. Paul was on his way to go arrest people on the road to Damascus. So there was no compromise. They were enemies. The, God said, look, yeah, they're going to be your enemies. But however, I'm not done with Israel. We still, they still will fulfill the purpose for which I called them. But just not right now. So yeah, they're enemies. But don't you worry about that. Love your enemies. Okay, that's what he said. Point six. Even though... God demonstrated the new way by signs, wonders, and miracles. So this, is, is, it under, is it maybe maybe they have a point? Maybe what they're saying could be. No, it can't be. God demonstrated that he was the Christ, not only through the, the, the resurrection, which was the ultimate miracle of God, that, he, that Christ and everything he said was valid and true, that his way was true, that God resurrected him, and he was seen by over 500 people at one time. This is not just, you know, some aberration of thought here, or maybe we can say, uh, twist some things here. No, God demonstrated it by miraculous signs, wonders, and miracles, even done by those apostles. They knew God was behind them. That's what Nicodemus said when he approached Christ. He said, we know God is with you because no one can do the works you do except God is with them. They understood that. They said, man, we never saw anything like this. We have never seen miracles like this. This has to be God. That's what Nicodemus, he's, it got his attention. And yet they still caved in to these religious people. It gave them a place in their lives. So, that, and point seven, the last one, they did this even though they know better. They knew, they knew better and they know better than what they should have done. They knew that this was wrong behavior when they were doing it. You ever do something and know that is wrong? It's not like, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try this. I don't know if it's gonna work out or not. No, I know this is wrong, and if I do it, I know I'm wrong. They knew they were in the wrong. I don't think it took much for Paul to demonstrate that, that they were wrong. We'll end with these thoughts because of our time. I won't hold you. We'll, the rest of these points, you can read them, but we'll discuss them next week. But we have some opportunity to look forward. We're almost done with this chapter, and we'll, we'll be heading into chapter three. Stay tuned. Let's bow our heads as we close. Thank you, Father, for these thoughts you have given us this afternoon. We thank you for those who are here and have participated with their, their reasoning and the spirit of truth who is within us. Father, we thank you for each person who is here, each individual who has come and, and, and to understand the words that are spoken 
by the Spirit of Truth in, in these verses that we cover. So we pray for those who are on our prayer list that were mentioned. We continue to pray for them as we depart. Uh, but we know that those concerns should be perfectly lodged with you. All of this we ask in Christ's name. Amen. 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 Amen.